Though I'm an employee of Ronald Blue Trust, Talking Money represents my individual views and not those of my employer or any sponsor of the program. During the program, I may discuss market trends as well as specific financial planning techniques and investment ideas. These discussions are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations to any individual or organization. Work with your attorney or accounting or investment professional for specific individual advice and services. Any securities or investment products discussed on Talking Money are not insured by the FDIC, are not a deposit or other obligation of or guaranteed by any bank, and are subject to investment risks, including possible loss of principal amount invested. Good morning and welcome to Talking Money. This is Certified Financial Planner Professional Mike Miller, your host for today. Uh, so good to be back with you after a few weeks of uh, doing some other things and, and having some recorded programs. I uh, really enjoyed uh, have Eric Daniels on the show last week. If you missed that, you missed a, a really interesting program talking about some of the uh, lighter parts or, or more um, non-financial parts of financial planning, I think was really good. So if you missed that program or other programs, just go to TalkingMoneyRadio.com and just click on Listen Now, and then you can go back and you'll see a big list of all the different programs we posted. We post them uh, nearly every Saturday. It comes about uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, the following week. We'll post this this program as well, and you're able to listen to them, re-listen to them. If you couldn't quite get the concept, you can re-listen to it so you can uh, you can um, get a better handle on it. And, of course, if you've got a question, send that question right at the same time. You can click on Ask Mike a Question or send an email to mike at talkingmoneyradio.com. Today we're talking about retirement income planning. A lot of different ways you can... Um, plan or get your income for retirement. We're going to talk about that for a minute. And and as part of that, had a question a few weeks ago, and because we weren't live the last couple of weeks, couldn't answer it live, but want to today, from Russ, who had a question related to some discussions we had several weeks ago, probably a month ago, when I was talking about investments, and I was talking about our bucket approach that we use at Ronald Blue Trust, and how we divide the funds into at least mentally even if not on your actual reporting statements into several buckets so you have a short-term bucket and we can have three or four buckets but you'd have one that was a short-term bucket cash bucket short-term intermediate term and long-term bucket so russ's question was a follow-up to that and he says i use the bucket system for retirement planning so he already used the buckets he uses three buckets which is three years cash seven years bonds and the balance in stocks okay so your your buckets could be totally different. It could be one year cash. It could be five years cash. So it's very flexible in how you use this, but I think it's important to to at least segregate these different uh, parts of your portfolio so that when you when we have times like we have in the last six months where the market is having a lot of volatility, have some good down days, or not good down days, <laughs> big down days, which aren't necessarily good, uh, but we have to have them at some point in time. It hopefully helps you get through those times because you're not as concerned about your longer term bucket having that volatility. All right. So he says, uh, I think your system is four buckets, but similar issues. Could you discuss what you are doing with inflation in your buckets? I have always used two and a half percent inflation, which has always been close enough. But with eight to nine percent inflation currently, that has been a very big effect on my bucket number two, which is mostly in bonds that are currently underperforming. I'm concerned that if I use 9%, my bucket number two would be artificially high. Not sure what to do, would appreciate your input. Then he had a follow-up email, says, as additional information, Morningstar had mentioned uh, has a method to calculate your personal inflation rate. 
that I worked through and basically said, it basically said that my personal rate of inflation was similar to the general inflation rate due to healthcare costs. I was surprised by the results, but you never know. We have very little home expense due to our home being paid for. All right, a lot of great information, a lot of great questions that we can um, veer off on and, and dig a little deeper on, on in this question. So, uh, so the buckets are, are great. So his question is, should I put more in a bucket number two, bucket number three because of inflation? So let's talk about inflation. I'm glad he mentioned your personal inflation rate because that is very important. Because in his case, well, the home is paid for. And if you're not planning on moving, then that part of the inflation rate, when they calculate inflation, housing is a, is a pretty good part of that calculation. So if you don't have to worry about that part of inflation, then, then that's um, something that you can uh, subtract from what they say is the inflation rate well what if you're if you're not working and you're not driving back and forth to work and or you're working from home you don't have the gas expense or even the car repair expense that you would typically have if you were commuting every day so the part that has to do with energy may not be the same except of course the part of energy that you use to heat and cool your your home, that part would be, of course, included. So it depends on what you're, and, and maybe you're traveling. So as a retiree, you say, no, we're going to travel a lot. Well, then maybe yours is higher because it, you're going to be more affected by the, the cost of fuel as we see gas prices uh, take off and so forth. And that's what, uh, as an aside, I think it's interesting when um, Chairman Powell and the Fed committee increases the Fed funds rate that they um, trying to subdue inflation. When what they really need to do, I think, is to go in there and try to fix what's causing the inflation. So when you have the um, antagonistic uh, administration against uh, uh, fossil fuels and they say, wow, you know, we can't, we, we want to not have any more fossil fuels. Well, until you have an alternative and, and we would love to have an alternative to fossil fuels. So we don't have to be dependent on that. Well, renewable, how great is that to have a good, solid reliable renewable source but we don't have that especially not a cost-effective way uh, or a a good-looking way when you have these uh, solar panels everywhere or the wind uh, mills that are everywhere trying to to generate the power well there's got to be a better way and we'll and we'll come up with a better way i even saw i remember uh several years ago uh, i saw a a program on hydrogen and trying to use hydrogen one guy was even using water to to have to run a car and then you never see anything else about it so i don't know who's suppressing it if it really wasn't a a viable alternative or if something else is happening to suppress it you know i don't know but i i think if we keep the creativity and keep the profit motive and don't always just be so negative about oh we can't have profits well that's that's ludicrous you have to have profits in order to to have the free enterprise system work to to inspire the creativity that we need to um, generate the ideas to to have good renewable energy down the road so we'll do something but until that time you know we we have to to have energy that is a uh, cost effective way of getting it and that's fossil fuels right now and and it's a lot cleaner i still remember working at the uh, i was a um, service station attendant in during school during the summers and at christmas break when i went to home in central florida worked at a golf station maitland florida and and first started out pumping gas and then at, between gas pumps and back then just a note of interest back then when we pumped gas 
I would actually, we would actually start filling the tank. I would clean the front windshield, the back windshield. I would offer to vacuum out their car. I would check the oil and I would check back then when you actually check the battery fluid to see if the battery was high enough. And if the car wasn't overheated, I would uh, actually check the radiator. I'd, I'd check all the fluids in here. And that was just for filling up a tank. And you were only paying 28 cents a gallon at the time. So that was pretty good service for uh, for such cheap gas. And we don't do that anymore. Anyway, so um, you know we need that kind of energy to, to get us by until we can do that. So don't discourage. Don't cancel pipelines. Don't discourage drilling, all, all these things, because it's a lot cleaner. Because I remember even back at that station, we had people from General Motors come by and talk talk to us and they were talking about the future because this we're talking the um, early 70s now that that what was going to happen down the future with fuel and so forth and how eventually all that was going to come out of your tailpipe was was water and and that's what's happening now so the technology and the amount of actual pollutants that are coming out of the car is so so much less than there were before so we're doing a better job on that we just need to continue to improve that all right so i digress a little bit so we'll get back. We'll get back to Russ's question here. It's time to take a break. But we're talking about the buckets and and the inflation rate and what should we do? What should we use? What should Russ or anybody use as a potential inflation rate when you're trying to do projections out, which could determine how much you would have in your short term bucket, intermediate term bucket, and your long term bucket. We'll be right back. The answers to most financial questions are uncovered when you understand that there are only really five uses of money and when you know exactly how much you are spending on each of those uses. At Ronald Blue Trust, our comprehensive financial planning process helps you plan for living expenses, debt, savings, taxes, and giving. Well, let's focus on saving for retirement. Planning for retirement is much more than a magic number that answers the question most people think of retirement planning, how much is enough? You need to know the answer to that question, but other questions are important to consider as well. Questions like, how will I determine what my next chapter is? How can I use my savings and investments in a tax-efficient manner? How will inflation, investment returns, and personal decisions impact my time frame? As you approach retirement, don't look at it as an end, but rather as a beginning. We don't sell any products at Rundle Blue Trust. We are fiduciaries whose only desire is to help clients be the best stewards they can be with the resources God has given them. Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money because we want you to get the answers to your questions about money with no hidden agenda to sell anything. If you'd like to learn more about Ronald Blue Trust, to find out if we can help you, please call 1-800-588-7526 and tell Chelsea you heard Mike Miller talking about Ronald Blue Trust on the radio. It would be my pleasure to speak with you further. Once again, our phone number at the Greenville office is 1-800-588-7526. Now let's go back to Talking Money to answer more of your questions. And we do want to answer more of your questions. Let's see, we're coming up on about, uh, it's 19 after the hour. You know how many times you read articles and they may say, well, check with your financial professional before you decide to do anything. Well, um, if you may not have a financial professional or you may want to get a second opinion, I'm here. I've been doing it a long time. And if I don't know the answer, I'll try to find the answer for you. One way or the other, we'll get it. So we're talking about a question that Russ had. Uh, he asked about, basically, the question is, with his bucket approach, uh, short-term, intermediate-term, and longer-term bucket, 
And with inflation running closer to 9%, 8-9% now, uh, what do you do? So we need to clarify those buckets first. So the first first bucket, of course, is not intended to keep up with inflation at all. It's, it's a cash bucket, or in our case, we might have a cash bucket plus a, a short-term bucket. And that money is not supposed to keep up with inflation. That's just to be there to live off of. It's supposed to help you not to tap and have to tap into a longer-term bucket when it may not be doing very well. It's having a hard time. So you don't want to have to sell something when it's down in your long-term bucket, uh, which is another reminder when you hear these advertisements on the radio about, uh, well, can you take another 30% drop or 40% drop? Well, Please don't tell me your whole portfolio is in something that's in stocks that's going to go down that much. No, because stocks historically have performed better than those those annuities that they may talk, be talking about, even real estate, depending on the real estate. But overall, if you talk about the overall real estate market and overall stock market, stocks have, have been a, a better, longer-term uh, performer. And so and when, you, when you look at all those different types of in, investments, you, you don't want to have so much in that long-term bucket that you have to sell it when it's down so you got that short-term bucket that has cash in it or short-term bonds there again it's not intended to keep up inflation you really would lose money if you had too much money in that you're going to lose over time because the cost of living is going to go up faster than that and then you're not going to be able to keep up with your standard of living because you're you're essentially the value of your money is going down then you have the intermediate term bucket and it's typically Intermediate term bonds. He says bonds here, uh, seven years bonds. Uh, so it's it's like okay, we we want we don't want to have long term bonds in there, like your thirty year treasuries or or some preferred stock can be that way, uh, or any kind of uh, bond that's a you know fifteen ten fifteen twenty year bond because it's going to be it has a potential of making more money as interest rates go down but as we all know we're not in that kind of environment now it's more of an increasing interest rate environment and the longer the term duration or longer maturity in the term the more volatility the more downward pressure you're going to get on those bond prices now if you keep a bond or keep a treasury until maturity then you don't have to worry about the volatility. You need to remind yourself of that. Now, mutual funds are buying and selling bonds all the time, but they're still holding on to bonds. So as as new bonds are, as new cash comes in to invest, and as new bonds are issued at the higher interest rate, then of course they're going to take advantage of that. And that's going to help offset, at least somewhat, the old bonds they have in there that may be struggling because the interest rate's lower. And so the the price on those bonds is going to go down at least until they get closer to maturity. A lot of a lot of moving parts, more than we think of sometimes in in bond funds and bonds in general. But if you just have a bond, let's say you buy a, a 10-year treasury, 30-year treasury, if you hold it maturity, even though you'll read reports about, wow, I read one this morning. It's one, It was actually Thursday's Wall Street Journal, I think. But when it talked about how the uh, 10-year treasury is taking such a hit, well, yeah, it took a hit, but that's only if you sell it. It's not going to take a hit if you hold it to maturity. You'll still get whatever rate that is. But the new rates, and we haven't seen this for a while, hit 3%. So if you're thinking, well, I want to lock in a 3% rate and you're not concerned about, well, maybe the rates are going to go to 35 or 4% or 4%. 
say, well, I like to lock in three because that's better than than one where we've where we've seen 10 year treasuries as well. Well, you just go go to the bank, go to the, the federal bank and you say, I want to um, buy a 10 year treasury and you buy that 10 year treasury and you just hold it till then you get your three percent. And what I've seen over the last 10 years with what um, the indexed annuities have performed, then you're going to get at least as much as what they've been getting because we've seen two and a half, three percent rates, uh, average returns on those in spite of what they may say about about being able to you know go up when the market goes up but not go down when the market goes down those kind of things i'll talk more about that probably in the second half of the program today but but um when you if you have that locked in rate then you don't have to worry about it going down up it's it's going to make three percent no matter what the market does and you'll get that for 10 years i mean i know a lot of us can remember back in the 70s when we well if we could have locked in the uh, 15 14 15 percent uh, CDs we had then, our treasuries, we'd, we'd be happy. We'd have been happy for a long time. But we don't know what rates are going to do. So still the question that Russ has is, what about inflation? So the last bucket, so the mid middle bucket, the bond intermediate term bucket, is designed to match inflation. It's not designed to beat inflation. You want to at least make inflation. Well, here lately, those bonds have been struggling, so they haven't been even meeting inflation. But, but you need to look at inflation over a longer period of time, not just um, – a one or two or three year, what we hope would be an aberration in rates and going up real high. But the more that's likely, then the more you actually want to go to the third bucket. Because one of his concerns is, if inflation is too high, I'm going to put too much in my intermediate term bucket, my seven year bucket. Well, the higher inflation is, the more you really want to have in your longer term bucket, because that's the one that has the best potential of beating inflation. And so you'd actually reduce the amount that you have in your intermediate term bucket and increase the amount you have in your longer term bucket. And it doesn't look like that right now. When you see stocks and bonds, both of them are struggling and going down. But stocks typically are going to go down more than bonds when they when they have a tough time. But when they're both going down, it looks kind of frustrating. And that's where the cash comes in handy. So, okay, I'm not worried about my intermediate bonds or I'm not worried about my long term bucket, my stock bucket or my real estate bucket, whatever it is for you. Because I don't need to touch it. I've got, in this case, in his case, I've got three years worth of cash. I can weather the storm. And 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 historically speaking, they're not going to last longer than three years. Now, sometimes they do. Five years is typically the longest time we've ever had where stocks went down and didn't go back up to higher than they were before they started going back down. But I still remember in, in 2008, when we had the Great Recession, and I'd only been on the radio for about a year and a half, coming up on two years at that time. And I kept reminding people, because it's even worse feeling then and worse in reality, because stocks were really getting hammered back then. And I said, well, tell me a time. I want a listener to call me and tell me a time when stocks went down and they didn't go back up to higher than they were before they started to go down. I want you to tell me a time when that happened. Well, of course, nobody called because there was no time that that happened. This may be the first time that happens. I don't know. But it doesn't, uh, you know, we nobody knows that. But history would say, no, that's not going to happen. So when when you look at, at um, inflation and potential inflation rate, so look at your personal inflation rate. What is your inflation rate versus what the general inflation rate is? And then, and then uh, the more that you're concerned about inflation, the more you really want to switch to your longer term bucket, because that's when that's the part that in the past has done the best to 
uh, meet and beat inflation is that longer term bucket and then just be careful i mean i i, I tell people that i've told you listeners uh, many times over the years in talking money is that you you need to be careful about investing in something like stocks and then when and you you may go along fine for six months a year two years five years and then when it goes down and has some struggling times like we've had here recently and you say wow okay it's down 10 percent, down 15 percent. i'm gonna bail i can't i can't take this anymore well if you're gonna bail after it goes down 15 percent, then just don't buy it to begin with this is not something that you should be into because you've got to you've got to remember that the stocks are going to go down. We don't know when, we don't know how long, how far. We don't know all those answers to those questions, but I can the one thing I can guarantee you, it's going to go down. So you need to look at the stock investments and don't look at your your current value. So at the end of last year when stocks were up well, and people tend to think, "Okay, that's my current principal." So anything that goes down from there, I'm losing my principal. Well, not really. Your principal, you should go back to when you first started investing and say, what would I have earned if I had stayed in a a very conservative, let's say, treasury fund, and I made 1%, 2%, whatever that is? What would my value be now versus where it is today in stocks, even after it's gone down? And in most cases, what I've seen, it's going to be higher than than what your treasury, which would have been your principal amount if you hadn't taken any risk at all. So I think that's important. Okay, so when we get back to the break, I'm going to talk about some different types of uh, vehicles that we use for income. Anything from Social Security to gold to private equity and life insurance and all those kind of things. I'm, I'm, I assure you, we probably won't have time to cover it all today. But I will do my best to cover uh, some of the key points in that. We'll be right back with the second half of Talking Money in just a few minutes. Most of you have heard the saying, it's not what you earn, but what you keep. With all of the tax laws and legislative changes, how do you successfully navigate the complex, always changing and mostly confusing tax system. More importantly, how do you best take advantage of these changing laws in order to improve your financial stewardship and accomplish your goals? Unlike tax preparation, tax planning is a year-round process and should be an important part of your financial plan. It's wise to consider tax reduction efforts in light of your overall goals. At Ronald Blue Trust, our tax planning process includes things like short and long-term tax projections, understanding tax consequences of financial and life decisions, estimating marginal and effective tax rates to, among other things, avoid that dreaded tax bracket creep, coordinate with your tax preparer, and looking for tax savings opportunities through income shifting, deferring income, deduction planning, and other timing strategies. For more information about our Greenville team and the credentials and experience of each of them, go to ronblue.com forward slash Greenville. Sherry White, Jeremy Weaver, Scott Clark, and Eddie Holland are the team leaders with a supporting team of certified financial planner professionals working right alongside of them. Feel free to contact any of them directly or give me a call at 1-800-588-7526 and I'll be happy to discuss your situation with you. The phone number again is 1-800-588-7526 or go to ronblue.com forward slash Greenville. Let's return now to Talking Money. And welcome back to Talking Money. We're about 25 before the hour talking about retirement income, where do you get it? 
What's the best way to get it? What kind of combination should you have with retirement income planning? There's a lot of discussions these days. I hear it on the radio all the time with people. And most of the time, they're trying to sell you something. Rest assured, I'm not trying to sell you a thing. I'm just trying to give you some good information to, to give you a balanced approach and some some of the more objective ways of looking at all this. And I think one of the most important things that you need to consider when you're thinking about planning for your retirement is going to be managing your expenses and managing your debt. So as you get closer to retirement, then you want to, I think you ought to be getting to the point where, okay, I, I virtually have no debt and my expenses are going to be fairly, my regular expenses are going to be minimal. So if I don't have a car payment, I don't have a house payment, I can be much more flexible when there are times when the economy is having a rough time or gas prices go way up or whatever. I, I won't be uh, having to use uh, inflated dollars now to pay for things that I bought uh, years ago, like the car or the house or whatever it is. And there's pros and cons in the house part. Uh, I, I have the discussion frequently with clients and some radio listeners, you know, should I keep my mortgage? Uh, and, and there's an, is an emotional as well as a, and kind of a, a risk tolerance as well as a an investment answer to that question. So if your if your mortgage rate is lower, so it's a two and a half, three and a half percent rate, and you think, okay, well over the remainder of that mortgage that I have to pay of ten or fifteen years, if my rate if I think I can make more money or historically I've invested in such a way that I make more than that, then just from a financial standpoint, you say, well, that's a no brainer. Yes, I want to invest instead of doing that. But then there's the emotional side and the safety side. And they go, okay, well, but if I, if I just go ahead and pay off that mortgage, then I don't have to worry about somebody come to take it if things go real bad or if my investments don't go the way they go. And it could be one of the spouses is uh, more comfortable if they say, well, I just I just don't want to have a, a mortgage. And if something happens to my spouse, if there's not life insurance that comes that gets uh, payable, that is going to take care of paying off that mortgage, I just I don't want to have to fool with that. I just don't want to have to have my spouse or I uh, I don't want to personally be concerned about having a mortgage payment when my income is probably going to be reduced because the person that died, their income is going to go away, even if it's Social Security at least part of that social security income is going to go away as well. So I think that that in many ways says, okay, by the time I get to retirement or shortly thereafter, let's, let's make sure my debt is reduced or at least eliminated. And then of course in retirement, if you think I, I need to buy a car, how should I buy that car? And then you have to look at it again. So, okay, well, should I, depending on where my money is. So if I've got a lot of my money in money market account and I'm making you know, 0.5 or less percent interest rate. And I've got, you know, 50,000 in there. I've got 150,000. I've seen much more than that in, in past book savings and in money market accounts that, and, and it's going to cost me even only, let's say one and a half percent, or I can get a 2% loan for the car. Well, if all you're making is, is a half percent or less in your money market account, well, you might as well pay cash for it. And, and not even though it's a low rate, it's not going to work out and you're not going to make money doing that. So only if the money is invested in something that's going to make more than whatever the cost of the loan, at least the potential of making more than what the cost of that loan is, then you just want to pay it off and keep it. So managing expenses, I think, is important, especially if there's higher inflation. Because like I said, you want more flexibility. You want to, to not have to worry about having to still pay 
a mortgage payment or a car payment or a credit card payment of things you bought previously as inflation goes up. It just doesn't uh, make sense. It's just harder to pay with those with those more expensive dollars. All right, so what's available then to pay for or provide you the income that you need? So I just made a uh, made a list here of uh, different options, and I'll just go down the list of how I put them down there. So Social Security is the most important part. Just about everybody has that, or if they're civil service, they have a civil service retirement. And so Social Security. So the biggest question there is usually when to start. Uh, sometimes people have a question of, you know, how do I uh, – work because you have a self-employed individual that may have some flexibility in how much to pay into the social security system and so forth but when to start is usually the biggest question you and your spouse if you divorce there's a lot of questions there so i would encourage you to go back to talkingmoneyradio.com and click on when you do the search bar click on um, social security when you click on social security it'll show you the different of programs that we've already had and eddie holland was on with me for several programs back earlier this year and you can look at that and listen to it and and get more questions and of course if you have more get more answers if you have more questions after listening then you just send that question to mike at talkingmoneyradio.com or click on ask mike a question on the website and and we'll follow up with additional questions it may be a question that's just about your personal situation and that's fine uh, we're not going to give your information over the air we might, we might not even discuss your situation over the air but love to answer questions for listeners to, to help you get the right answers you need another option in addition to social security would be some people still qualify for a pension plan uh, um, it's it's fewer people that apply for that or have it now have it available but it's still something that's that's available to you so when you um have that option presented to you then it's usually the question of well do i take um a a 50 joint survivor which is the the typical default option that they give you which means you get a certain amount and then when you pass on your spouse gets 50 percent of that amount you're getting you can opt to take a little less than your um, typical amount and say, okay, I'll take less if it means that when I pass on, my surviving spouse gets 100%. So um, a lot of state employees still have this option. So it's not gone away. We know it's out there. So that's something else that that uh, we'd help clients with. I And I'd say in most cases, when somebody's given the opportunity to say, okay, I'm going to take either a lump sum, here's the amount that you're qualified to get, or I'm going to take, I'm going to give you this monthly income. Uh, not everybody, and we don't recommend everybody do this, but often it's, I want to take the lump sum. And one of the main reasons for that is, is that when you die, if you take the, um, the pension income, it's gone. When you and your spouse are gone, it's gone. So if one of you, at least one of you doesn't live, and statistically one of you is going to, but one of you doesn't live long enough, then you haven't gotten all your money back and your heirs aren't going to have any money. So if you get a good diversified portfolio outside the plan and, and put it in a lump sum and say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, um, invest this money and just start taking money off of it. But then whenever I'm gone, whatever's left is then going to be available for my heirs. Your spouse is of course going to get it as well, but that, that you're looking for a larger amount that's going to go to the children or maybe even more importantly, the grandchildren. So there's some plans there for the, uh, for the pension plan. And then you've got investments. And people would use that as a supplement to Social Security, a supplement to the pension plan. I know people, their Social Security and their pension plan, between the two of those, they didn't need any more. They didn't need any of their, their really retirement assets. 
because there there was enough income coming in. That's a really nice situation to be in. And they're so then they're investing the money not for themselves, but they're investing it for their for their families or maybe for ministries that they want to support. So uh, here again, I've listed just some. So one of the uh, obvious ones: CDs and treasuries. So I mentioned earlier in the show today that ten-year treasuries are up near three percent. So if if you've been so dissatisfied with less than one percent that you've been able to get on CDs in the past, well, now's the time to lock in a ten-year treasury, and then don't worry about how it might change in price uh, if interest rates continue to go up. Be satisfied with your three percent and keep it to maturity, and you'll get your money back guaranteed from the treasury. And you know CDs are like that too. You don't typically get a ten-year CD, uh, but but a CD would be similar. Uh, except there's usually just early surrender penalties if you use a CD. But I looked up this morning, just got national CD rates, and I saw one-year rates about one and a half, two and a half years were 1.75, so not that much different. Uh, once you got to five years, it was 2.25. So you could do a five-year rate at 2.25, and counting on that in that five-year period, the rates are going to go up enough so that the second five years, you'll make enough higher than 3% to offset the fact that you could have gotten a guaranteed 3% for 10 years. So for some of the, the very conservative money, you say, no, I just want to make sure I have a certain amount of income that I'm going to get, then the treasuries or CDs is a, is a viable option there. All right, we get back from the break. We're going to talk about your IRA, 401k funds, your after-tax brokerage accounts, and you know capital gains versus ordinary income type uh, of accounts and also we'll try to spend a little bit of time on annuities and try to give you some good questions to ask there if if that's something that uh, that you are considering we'll be right back virtually every financial services firm talks about financial and investment planning based on your goals at ronald blue trust we can help you define your goals and we'll do that from your personal cash flow to your income tax, to your state and investments, to help ensure that your decisions really do reflect your values. We incorporate biblical principles into our comprehensive financial planning approach. Our goal is to help you clarify your decision-making and focus on leaving a legacy of financial, social, and spiritual capital. And whether we realize it or not, the decisions we make in life reflect our values and our priorities. Decisions we make today can have lifetime implications. There are rarely independent decisions. A comprehensive financial plan includes things like planning for short-term cash needs, long-term retirement, proactively minimizing debt, continually evaluating the tax consequences of your decisions, funding your child's or grandchild's education, and determining your insurance needs. No financial plan, however, is worth doing unless you actually implement your plan. Our process takes you directly from goal setting to the implementation. I think, we think, there's a good chance your financial stress level will improve when you understand how all of the components of your financial life integrate with each other and how to adjust over time. So we can guide you through a detailed plan towards sound financial decisions, wise stewardship, and a roadmap to your desired destination, a life well spent. For more information, go to ronblue.com forward slash Greenville or call 1-800-588-7526. Once again, the number is one 800 588-7526. Now back to more of Talking Money. 
right, we got about 11 minutes here left in Talking Money and a lot of information to cover, talking about some sources of income for retirement. Mentioned the treasuries, uh, Social Security pension plans, and treasuries and CDs, that kind of thing. So uh, and another common investment available to most people, the IRA slash your 401k type funds. And you've got your traditional versus your Roth funds. And, and one thing I always like to remind people of is an IRA or 401k is not an investment. The investments are what you put in that IRA or in that 401k. So I liken it to like a file cabinet. The file cabinet is the IRA. When you open the drawer and put an investment in it, that's the investment. So it can be anything from CDs uh, to private placements and private credit, private equity, stocks, bonds. It can be any number of things. Gold, you can put a lot of things in that IRA. But the IRA itself is not an investment. So whether you have traditional IRA or Roth IRA uh, or you have an after-tax account, which could have the same exact investments as your IRA would have in it, pretty much. There are some restrictions on the IRA, but pretty much the same thing. You're, you really try to divide between your capital gain type income versus ordinary income income. So they're all taxed at, they're both taxed at different rates. So your, uh, your IRAs, if it's traditional, it's going to be ordinary income when it comes out. It doesn't make any difference if you invested in municipal bonds in there that are tax-free, when it comes out of an IRA, it's going to be a traditional IRA. It's going to be taxable as opposed to a Roth IRA, which is going to come out tax free. But you got to be careful. And we've talked about this often on Talking Money, how much you put into a Roth, because you want to make sure you have some money available in your traditional IRA to be able to do qualified charitable distributions once you get age 70 and a half and, and use that as a real big tax advantage for taking out your required minimum distribution, which, of course, is not uh, required until you're 72 now but your after-tax brokerage account so having money in there whether it's bonds even in those tight buckets that we talked about at the top of the show when we were asking answering russ's question you can have different kind of buckets your short-term intermediate term long-term in in those accounts you can have all those buckets in there um, but then you're you're uh, able to pull out what you need to pull out and having flexibility and having not all the same type investment. So having some like your regular IRA, which you can take out and it'll be ordinary income. And of course, you have to start taking out when you're 72 or in your brokerage account where you have some money that is capital gain type property. And before you have to start taking out your required minimum distribution, that's a great place to make your gifts from because you're going to make it with appreciated property. You'll save taxes doing that. And we can help clients with all those kind of, we do help clients with that, those kind of techniques and those kind of strategies. Or you have a Roth IRA. When you take that money out, it's completely tax-free. So when it gets to the point of retirement, and you know what your marginal tax bracket is. You have your Social Security that's coming in. Maybe you have a pension plan. And you know what your marginal tax bracket is so that when you get to taxable income of around $80,000, anything above that taxable income is going to jump from uh, 12 to 22% in tax bracket. Well, if you can utilize some tax planning techniques and strategies to, to determine what where you're going to take your income out of, then you can try to keep it under those amounts under those limits and and avoid that tax bracket creep the dreaded what i call in that ad i just did the dreaded tax bracket creep to to all of a sudden now money you're taking out has jumped from a 12 percent bracket to a 22 percent bracket and you didn't even know it so you want to be aware of that so a lot of different things you can do between those iras uh and traditional iras roth iras <clears throat> and your after-tax uh, accounts with capital gains versus ordinary income all right then annuities is another way people get money so 
a lot of different types of annuities. So if you do just a, an immediate annuity, there's two parts basically to annuity. It's, it's the kind that uh, are for accumulation during accumulation phase, and then it's the part of the distribution phase. And it can be two different annuities. You can have one that you thought was really good for uh, or better, let's say, for accumulating funds, and then you can switch it to another company that happens to be better at distributing funds. But now you have to be careful with that with a like an indexed annuity, which might have an income, which typically has an income bucket and an account value bucket. So that income bucket, if you try to change from one annuity to another, that income bucket is is probably not going to transfer over. Although the new company says, oh, that's all right, we'll, we'll throw in another 20%, 30%, whatever, into that account. Always be aware of where the money is going and what availability you will have and what restrictions there are on those funds. I mean, it's, it's one of those things I think most people realize if somebody says I'm going to add 10%, 20%, 30% into an account for me. Well, how can they do that? They, they're not going to just give you 10, 20, 30% and then the next year say, well, you can take it all back out. No, that, that doesn't happen that way. There are restrictions in that account. And from what I've seen, in most cases, there are, there are exceptions to this. In most cases, that money goes into an income bucket. So yes, it can increase the amount that they use to base your income on. All right, but you got then think of, okay, so... Then how much money did I put in? How much money is this extra they're putting in? What is the amount they're going to give me? And how long will it still be till I get my original money back? So let's say I'm 70 years old and I'm starting to take out some money. Well, it could be, I've seen as much as, as 20 years to where you actually get your, your original principal back. Well, that means you got to live to your 90 and then you really start making money. So just do a simple calculation. How long is it going to take for me to get my original funds back out of this account? And when they're going to actually have to start using their funds to pay me money. And, and then also always keep in mind that there are surrender charges. So I remind folks all the time that a surrender charge is a guaranteed loss. So people that buy annuities typically are saying, I, I want guarantees. Okay, well, that's great. Well, during the first five, eight, 10 years, 15 years, I've seen 20 years, that surrender charge is there. If you try to get all of your money out because for whatever reason, that product isn't performing as well as you hoped or as well as you were told or as well as you thought it would, you can't get the money out without taking a penalty. That's a guaranteed loss. So there's guarantees. So you always want to make sure when you're looking at an annuity that you look at what the guarantee is. And don't let somebody show you a proposal that says, here's how much money you can make. Look at the index that we use and go back 20 years. We're going to back test this and look what you would have done if we'd used this index over the last 20 years. Because it's easy to find an index that would have done well over the last 20 years. Let's, let's do one that's going to look good over the next 20 years, which they, of course, can't do because they don't know what's going to happen. But the more they talk about the amount of money you might make, you got to remember that the only, the only, the only way that annuity, that index annuity is going to make money is if the stock market goes up. So as much as they talk about trying to protect you against the stock market, the only way that's going to make money is if the stock market goes up. Now, granted, they have that that uh, floor there that says any year that the market goes down, it's going to be zero. You're not going to go lower than that. So that's your guarantee. So when you look at the, what, what am I buying? So if I buy a 10-year treasury, I'm guaranteed to make 3% for 10 years right now. If I buy an annuity, I'm guaranteed to make 0% for the next 10 years. It might even be less if, if because some of the way the fees work in there, and they, they talk about fees, and we don't really have the fees. The fees are in there. 
just just like they are in a CD. There there are fees in a CD. You just don't see them. It's it's how they calculate the rates and so forth. That's that's how they determine what they're going to pay you is because of the fees. So when you look at the the income bucket, which is what they're going to determine how much you're going to give you income, and then they look at all right. So now what happens if I die? What's my spouse going to get, and what are my children going to get? What's typically going to go back to the account bucket? So the amount of money that you might take out of that income bucket is actually also reducing the account value bucket, which isn't as large uh, typically as the income bucket. That means there's a greater chance that by the time they pass away, that that account value bucket is is almost gone, if not gone. And so, yeah, you've got the income bucket, but there's nothing left for the, the kid. I think it's always good to, first of all, be careful not to put tons of money into annuity. If you, even if you're sold on the annuity, don't, don't um, fall for this. You need to put you know, half your portfolio or all your portfolio in that. We've seen that happen all the time, too. I'll just put a portion of it in there and see how it goes. And then, and then you can determine if you really want to buy more because probably if you wait a couple of years, the ones they have then are going to have more bells and whistles or different bells and whistles. And they may, once you get rid of the old one that you, that you bought before and buy a new one because it's got better bells and whistles than the old one. So they're, they're always coming up with new things. And I just, there's just something about the way they're sold that makes me always leery about them. So just be very careful. And how, I mean, when I, because as a licensed agent, I still get, um, mailings out that that ask me how I want to you know how I can sell and make more money and and go to these workshops and make more money selling annuities and so forth. It's not so much talking about what the what the uh, uh, consumer is going to get, but what the agent going to get, maybe what prizes you can get and so forth. So just uh, just be very wary of of the annuities and make sure you really understand because I'm telling you a lot of times the agent doesn't even understand fully what's going on. But they'll just tell you the the highlights, the best part. The part you're going to remember is the guarantee, and I think you're going to re- you, you'll you'll think you remember more than than you did remember. So just be really cautious about got, getting that annuity. Make sure you understand all those facets. What do I get if am I living? What do I get if I die? My family? What do they get when they die? And so forth to understand whether or not that's a good deal because that that six seven eight percent commission got to affect you somehow. And, uh, and I just don't want you to be subject to that. Well, there's a lot of other things we didn't talk about. Private credit, uh, real estate, gold, and life insurance. A lot of other things. We'll have to cover those at a future time. But thanks for listening to Talking Money. If you got a question for me, Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next week for the next Talking Money. Talking Money.